0: I'm going to go in the intro now. All right. Hit it. You're listening to season two, episode two thirds, decimal six, 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 repeating. A hip squared American Fantastics pop culture podcast celebrating everything from the mainstream, independent, weird, old, local, and spooky. Troy, how's it going Ooh.
1: <laughs> Ooh. do you need some time like, yeah, <clears throat> sorry yeah it's uh <laughs> it's the it's the uh spookmeister you know uh inhabiting my soul right now oh, okay yeah no oh i have been i've been good um i just got married um according to when this uh podcast was recorded so or when this podcast was being released there
0: so you know, you're almost married Yes. You're two weeks closer to getting married. But. Thanks for blowing up our spot, Troy. Damn
1: it. It's all a lie. Everything's a lie. (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm two weeks from getting married, um, (laughs) and I have no free time anymore. So, yeah. Mm. That's (laughs) as Uh, it should be. Yeah. So, no.
0: Uh, Things are going well. Good. Yeah. Kelly and Guy and I went up to Cuba's today, which is this pumpkin farm,
1: Mm.
0: orchard, vineyard, winery,
1: so much fun. It's
0: kind of like a bougie paradise out in the middle of the country in Indiana. Mm-hmm.
1: It's where a lot of, like, white people go in, yeah, in October. Yeah, and just descend.
0: And there's other kinds of people, too. But, yeah, I uh, just kind of descend upon this small town of Starlight, Indiana, like a swarm of mm-hmm. locusts, and then just gobble up all the wine and donuts and apple
1: butter and yeah, pumpkins. It's, and It's very picturesque, and I have definitely gone multiple times. Cool. Their winery is fantastic, yeah. actually. The Sweet Marcella and... Uh I think it's Niagara, Niagara. Uh are two of their better wines. I really mm. like their sweet Marcel. if you're up, if you really like a sweet red. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's your there's your wine tips for the week. Sweet red. Mm-hmm. That
0: sounds like it should be the name of like an old like um western novel like paperback novel. I was
1: thinking like chewing gum, but oh, yeah, yeah sweet okay. Sweet red would be
0: you, no, okay, so Sweet Red the chewing gum is like it uses the logo and it's kind of like uh like a novelty like it it's like an homage to Sweet Red the old western. Oh, okay. And she's like the damsel in distress. Oh, I that see. That gets rescued by the like the silent stoic hero.
1: See, I was thinking like Sweet Red was going to be like I don't know, the name of like some um um like good, like good guy, like classic cowboy. Okay. Oh uh, like a red headed cowboy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sweet red. Or, or the great, cowboy's horse. The, the cowboy's horse is really yes. where it's going. Okay. Yeah. That would be the better place to, yeah. to go. But no. And then when
0: the horse dies, they turn him into chewing gum. Hence. Sweet, sweet red, yes, gum. of course. Okay, we come full <laughs> circle. Alright, so um I would like to talk about um old horror movies. Um, specifically, horror, uh, old horror movies by Hammer Studios, which was a British um, film studio that they were—they've been—they were around in the 30s, but the period that they're most known for is from the late 50s to about the early 70s. Okay, they made some of the first Technicolor horror movies, and um, they're kind of schlocky in parts. <laughs> I mean, this is definitely in, like, the very beginning of, like, the TNA era of horror movies, like, in a, like starting around, like, the late 60s with Night of the Living Dead and oh, okay. some other kinds of movies. Like, the, basically, they were able to push the envelope of what was acceptable in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And since they also had kind of, like... Just in terms of gore or... Well, gore, but also nudity and just kind oh, okay. of, like, part of it was that you could show deviant behavior in a horror movie because usually that behavior is punished in the mm. form of, like getting murdered or you know like eaten by a zombie right and then like the righteous pious like goody good girl is usually the one that survives mm-hmm. so it's like they kind of like wrap it up as this sort of like forced morality fable but anyway that's how like that's like kind of like the evolution of that genre of horror that kind of like became codified in the 70s with like the slasher flicks okay and this is kind of like the horror movies that sort of like gradually led
1: up to that um so like prior to because b movies were really big in
0: well they started in the 50s which was okay so this is
1: rolling in the same like exactly movie genre okay exactly
0: and so like sci-fi was big horror was big horror comics were huge mm-hmm. like ec they did tales from the crypt which was a comic way mm-hmm. before it was a tv show
1: and for those people that don't know b movies are like a genre of movie that were played alongside kind of a headliner movie but yeah they um, weren't
0: they weren't as heavily. They didn't have as high of a budget or production values. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, people had to like improvise to like save money. Yeah, because um, you didn't have. But so what that did is like it forced people to become really creative, and also be movies were things where like you could usually get away with
1: more because people were expecting like okay, there you have yeah. a lower budget, so. and you weren't
0: gonna have as quite as many eyeballs on it like you would mm-hmm. if you had like a major movie star. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these movies had two actors that became. Very important movie stars. Um, but before they were known to the majority of Americans. Well, this is actually the way they became known okay. to Americans. Um, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee okay. um, played Van Helsing and Dracula, respectively, in a series of these movies. Uh, you might know them better as Grand Moff Tarkin and Count Dooku. Count Dooku. From the Star Wars. Oh
1: God! Okay, okay. But um, oh, many well, other things as well. I was gonna say I heard I've heard of uh, Christopher Lee a lot.
0: Yeah, he also he was he was Saruman in Lord of the Rings as well. Okay, so he played That's opposite Ian mm-hmm. Um But before those movies came out, way back in the fifties through the sixties and into the early seventies, um, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee played against each other as uh, Dracula and Van Helsing, and it was kind of like. Ooh! Because it was so sort of cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> Be not distracted we watching, by the spooky moth. We were watching this crazy, like mosquito or moth, like flying in a spiral under our light because I left the door to my basement open.
1: Well, that's just like the problem that moths have when there's a light source that isn't the sun. Yeah,
0: I think we're confusing the moth or it was sent from Satan. One of those two. Anyways, um, so yeah, <laughs> so so what makes those movies so great is because. They didn't take themselves too seriously, but they were still trying to give you a thrill. And they were kind of doing it in whatever way they could. So they could either rely on, like, blood and gore and horror and kind of, like, those creepy, like, archetypal monsters like Dracula and Van Helsing. I mean, by this point, that story had already been told on film many times. Mm-hmm. Um, the most iconic continued. one is the 1932 Universal horror movie with Bella Lugosi. But even before that, you had Nosferatu mm-hmm. by Fritz Lang. And then so the vampire had already been done over and over by this point. So what they needed to do is they needed to make it fresh, which they did by adding Technicolor to it, uh. which was really important for a vampire film because that meant you could have red blood. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of the iconic versions of Dracula we see today are based on Christopher Lee. If you ever see the red
1: lining of the cape, mm-hmm, the that, large, the large uh, collar, as exactly well? the medallion. Mm-hmm. A
0: lot of that is from the imagery that was in the Hammer horror movies with Christopher Lee as Dracula. Mm. And um, spawn of Satan is back. Exactly. S O S. And so. The the, having that technicolor and that gore, and um, and also just having two masterful classical actors in this B movie just like kind of like elevated it because there's tons of B movies, and a lot of them are like kind of crummy or Mm -hmm. like you can enjoy them kind of in the way you would enjoy like um junk food watching a train crash, yes, yeah, exactly. So Mm -hmm. it's like it's not like anything that's gonna like really enrich you, but it's like a good way to pass a couple hours. Mm -hmm. But these movies kind of like elevated that to like an art form unto itself because you had these movies that didn't take themselves seriously, but these classical actors that were like pouring themselves into these
1: roles over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, the, they had the, the technical skills, but they just hadn't, uh, they didn't have a place to, you know, put them until they got to these B movies. Exactly. Yeah. And
0: like the, I think they did a stage a lot at this point, but mm. I mean to pay the bills and they were both aging actors at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee were probably both in their like I would have to say, like, late 40s, early 50s, in the beginning e- of these movies. And I think by the end of them, they're in their, like, um, well, maybe not their late 60s, because Christopher Lee took around for a while. But I was going to say, it's Peter like, Cushing there's... was already pretty old in 1977 when he played Grand Marf Tarkin. Mm-hmm. And the last one he was in of these Dracula movies was in
1: 1972. Okay. So he was, like... So wait, how many Dracula movies did they make? They I thought it was just They made a one. at least three. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: So the first one is uh, Dracula or horror of Dracula and that kind of retells the Bram the Stoker classic, version, yeah. The classic so yeah. it's like, you know, like Victorian England and the same story that y- that you've seen in the 1932 Dracula, if you've ever read the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they made ones that kind of came after and, and it's kind of like um, in Simon's Quest for Nintendo, like Dracula just keeps getting resurrected over and over <laughs> so we can keep like putting him in movies, you know. Fantastic. And um there's a middle one that I don't really know too much about. Um, There's a few of them. So Horror Dracula was the first one. That was, like, the really Mm -hmm. iconic one. Mm -hmm. And that was basically retelling the Bram Stoker version, but in a really new way. Because Christopher Lee also made Dracula way more monstrous and, like, over the top. Because in the 1932 version, Bela Lugosi was, like, a European stage actor. Mm -hmm. He was very, like, romantic and, like, kind of, like, darkly suave. And those movies are very atmospheric. But Bela Lugosi wasn't too over the top. Mm-hmm. It was a lot about like his voice and his facial expressions and like the atmosphere, but it wasn't like in these versions, Dracula is like yelling and like <laughs> breaking chairs over Peter Cushing and like. They, well, I mean, yeah, cause they have, have the... like the story. They have like the choreographed like over-the-top stage fights and everything. It's really fun. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the classic like uh Dracula stories came from um, like you said, the Bram Stoker, and I know it had been a play because in high school I saw another. I saw another high school put on a performance of dracula Mm -hmm. and it had a very it had the um there's a really good story like there's a really good story behind the show itself that i had never actually known that much about Mm -hmm. um just because i had like always heard of just your basics you know oh dracula is a vampire that is fought by van helsing and you don't get the actual like story of the uh, It's not the daughter of Van Helsing, but it's... uh, it's...
0: There's Jonathan Harker Mm -hmm. gets sent to Castle Dracula or, like, Transylvania. Yeah. And he's basically, like, a British real estate agent. Mm -hmm. And Dracula is, like, wanting to sell his castle, kind of. And he's there to, like, make that deal go through. Mm -hmm. But then, like, while they're doing business, he's like, wait a minute. (laughs) <laughs> There's a lot of weird stuff going on. Everybody yeah. in the village that I thought was superstitious, maybe they were onto something. He barely escapes with his life. Yeah. Dracula comes over to England and um, basically starts turning Jonathan's, like, um, fiancé and her friend yeah. into vampires. And that's when Van Helsing comes in because he's the one, he's, like, the expert mm-hmm. and is going to
1: help Jonathan, like, save his fiancé from Dracula. Right, right. So, like, I hadn't I hadn't known about, like, that whole story. Mm-hmm. I had known essentially... There's Dracula and there's Van Helsing, and Van Helsing kills Dracula with a wooden stake to the height. Like, that's exactly. all I knew about it. Yeah. So it's interesting. To, like, it was interesting to see that, that mm-hmm. whole story play out. Uh, fun fact, do you know where the wooden heart killing a vampire goes, uh, comes from?
0: I have no idea.
1: It's uh, back in medieval times, mm-hmm. Victorian times, where um, people are worried about the dead rising from the dead, so... In order to stop them from rising from the dead, they would take a stake and drive it through the heart. Wow,
0: um, <laughs> that's intense. And
1: yeah, well, I mean, apparently, I guess their idea was it's really hard to get up when you're staked to the ground yeah, through your so. chest.
0: Man, that's brutal. I know. <laughs> well, I
1: mean, if you've ever seen any of like the victor of the mm-hmm. like olden time ways to keep people from rising yeah. from the grave, they are creepy. Well,
0: the the book takes it a few steps further because it's not just a stake through the heart. So, Mm -hmm. one of the vampires that's killed by Van Helsing, first they cut her head off. Okay. Then they, like, basically stuff, like, a bunch of garlic into the, like, head cavity. Oh, God. (laughs) Like, whatever you would call that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, down into the body through where the head used to be. Down into the chest. Okay. And then they have to, yeah, they stake the heart. But they basically, like, do a bunch of stuff to that body. It's not just, it's not just to stake through the heart. And, um.
1: This guy sounds effed up. Yeah, (laughs) a little bit. A little
0: bit. But, um. So, but yeah, like Van Helsing in these Hammer movies is really good. Um, and the and the way that Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing play off each other is good because they have in, like really funny chemistry. It's like they're really taking it. The movie doesn't take itself seriously. They take their acting really seriously and they pour <laughs> themselves into these roles. But they also know like these people are here for a show. You know, they're yeah. not like we're not just here to exchange lines of dialogue. So like they get physical. They like crashing into things. They have the over the top makeup. And, but they're totally into it, and then they um. So that's the classic style of Dracula. Does it give off this like you, you
1: guys are trying too hard vibe? Um, kind of. <laughs> but it's like, but it's the good kind. Well, it's
0: also because back then you didn't have like cr- you couldn't do, or at least they couldn't afford, really complicated special effects. Okay. So what you relied on was the makeup and the acting and the like mm-hmm. crazy action because that you could do like anybody can build a chair out of balsa wood and crash it over somebody's head or right you know or you can put like yeah all the makeup on and that kind of thing um, to take this up to the next like level of B movie where they're like just kind of like pushing the theme to death um, is Dracula A D nineteen seventy two. Okay. So the old ones, like, they did the traditional one. Yeah. And then they did a few, like, rehashes of those in the middle. Okay. The final one that they were both in was called Dracula 80, 1972. And this is the one that imagines Van Helsing's grandson. Okay. Played by Peter Cushing. Okay. Um, His, I think it's his niece. She's, like, um, wrapped up. Because it's, like, it kind of in, like, the context of, like, the backlash against, like, the hippies and, like, Mm-hmm. Peter Cushing is like the old-fashioned guy and his niece is like this sort of like hippie like um, party girl. Mm-hmm. Like she, she she runs with the wrong crowd. Well, anyway, one of them is like they're all into the occult and one of them gets the idea where they're going to like do this like dark ritual like inside of a church and basically he resurrects Dracula because he thinks that like Dracula is like he's going to be like Dracula's like right-hand man, right? Yeah. Um. So he... um. Resurrects Dracula, he's played again by Christopher Lee. Of course. And then um Peter Cushing, who's like the new Van Helsing, like the old Van Helsing's grandson, but now he's grown up, so he's just, you know. Yeah. But he's still like a vampire expert because it's like part of his like family history and lore. He's got the books or he has whatever. to basically rescue his niece from Dracula which basically means that it's, like, Van Helsing and Dracula, <laughs> but instead of Victorian times, they were, like, running around, like, 70s London.
1: I was really... And so there's,
0: like, all these hippies. There's a band. The band that does the music is this band called Stone Ground, <laughs> and they're just, like, this cool, like, hippie, like, early 70s, like, you know, band, but they, like, play, like, in all the clubs and stuff, and there's, like, crazy over-the-top movies. There's, like, TNA, or um, music. There's, like, TNA in it, and it's, like... Of all the Hammer B movies, that is, like, one of the most b movieist. and see, I highly recommend it.
1: This all, like, just makes me want to see the sci-fi version of Van Helsing v. Dracula, where it's, like, cyberpunk, <laughs> uh, Dracula's cruising through the web to get mm. to these people. Oh, that would be cool. He's sucking out, instead of blood, it's data, or something <laughs> like that. I mean, like, just the idea of it, like, progressing through mm. time.
0: Well, you should pitch it, Troy. Yeah, you should have. You need to make an elevator pitch because that's exactly that's
1: exactly what the world needs is yet another Dracula movie. <laughs> well, I
0: mean, they've been coming out with Dracula, and I don't think they're ever going to stop because no. it's just kind of like at this point, it's like a horror archetype. Yeah, and I think one of the good things about this is you—it's so there's like so much sim- symbolism and theme and like you can kind of inject whatever you want into it Mm -hmm. so it's almost like now like the vampire genre story especially when it's related to horror you can kind of inject whatever you want into that Mm -hmm. to tell like your own like like true blood did that on hbo right like they create they use the vampire genre but then they created something totally new they like got a lot of people's attention and that was based on like a book series right and then you have like
1: other other great serious dramas like twilight yeah that uh (laughs) Well, I mean, Twilight, imagines like, the vampire... Like,
0: as Mormon-repressed um, <laughs> sexual fantasies. Yes. yes. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, say what you will about it. It's sold a majillion, bajillion copies. I so know. So it's kind of like, she must have been doing something, right? Um, but yeah, so those are, the, those are the Hammer horror movies that I highly recommend. Um, you can watch other ones, too. There's a version of Frankenstein that also has Christopher Lee mm-hmm. and Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing plays Dr. Frankenstein really well. Christopher Lee plays... The monster, but it's not the same kind of... Because, of course, like, the monster, that's a very... A lot of actors don't want to take that role because you're covered in makeup. You don't get to talk a lot. But then there's people like Boris Karloff or, like, Christopher Lee in this movie that, like, make their own iconic versions of Frankenstein. Okay. There's other, like, weird, crazy sci-fi ones. There's a whole lot of um, just different kinds of Hammer horror movies. And there's also movies that aren't even horror movies. You can watch Hammer swashbucklers where I think, like, Christopher Lee is, like, a pirate or something. (laughs) Um, and then the other, this is the last resource I kind of wanted to push people toward. If you want to get into these kinds of movies or just like horror B movies in general or want to learn more about the horror genre, uh, there's a really good website called cinemassacre.com. Mm-hmm. A lot of people know, uh, of the angry Nintendo nerd who became yep. the angry video game nerd. This is, uh, the website of that creator, James Rolfe. Oh, okay. He's also like a huge horror movie fan. He's even made his own like low budget horror movies. Hmm. And for many years, he did something called Monster Madness, where for every day in Halloween, he would have like a different three or four five minute review of a different horror movie. Oh, that's cool. And so one of those years, um, he did a bunch of Hammer horror films. Oh, okay. And so that's kind of like how I got drawn into them. And I think I kind of remember like watching a few when I was a kid, because mm-hmm. I think my dad had rented them for us. But um, but if you want to learn more about the Hammer horror movies, I would just Google uh, Massacre. Hammer Horror, mm-hmm. and uh, that will come up. Or you can just go to Cinemasker's website. They have their own uh, search function. You can go through all the Monster Manises. There's one where it's like everyone is a Godzilla movie. Um, there's one where everyone's a sequel. The very first ones are like the uh, universal horror movies that establish like, all the archetypes like Dracula, the Wolfman, Frankenstein, and like basically created horror as a film genre as we know right, it today. Right, the mummy. Exactly. So if you guys want to get into like horror history... That's an excellent resource. Is uh, Cinemasterers dot com and Monster Madness, and especially the Hammer horror movies. Um, you can find more information about them, and they're not too hard to find online either. Um, so they're they're accessible because people basically Hammer became a popular enough studio mm-hmm. after all of this that now people are kind of like celebrate that legacy and still watch these.
1: So did like the horror of the week genre develop out of these Hammer uh, Hammer movie? Like this?
0: Well, I think like developer. Well, I think when you talk about, like, horror of the week, you're talking about, like, short, like, horror. Yeah. I think that started from the, like, EC comics and, like, Tales of the Crypt. Because basically what those stories would do is, like, you would basically tell one horror story Mm -hmm. in 22 pages and have a bunch of ads. Okay. So it couldn't be anything necessarily too long and drawn out because, you know. That's less room for ads. And and exactly. Well, the other thing, too, is, like, the person reading this week might not have read last week. So if you have a new story every time, people can just pick up and start off. And it was kind of the same way, too, because, um... Those EC horror movies were kind of like – or horror comics were kind of like the comics that started pushing the envelope. Okay. And before the Comics Code got introduced, they had a lot of really like horror and sexuality and things Mm. that you would see later on in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s once the standards got more relaxed. But then you had people doing this in like the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. In a medium where they couldn't – where where they they could actually do it. Exactly. And so like horror – has also kind of, like, always been this deviant sort of genre. Mm -hmm. It's always been kind of, like, one of the genres where you could, with very low budget, but just a sick mind and some good ideas, like, get at least a small audience. Mm -hmm. And you never know, like, you could become, like, the next... uh, Like, Mary Shelley basically wrote Frankenstein on a dare. Right. With, like, Lord Byron and all his his buddies. So it's kind of like, (laughs) you never know who's going to be the person who's, like, going to come up with an idea that's really going to catch. Like, even Stephen King started that way, writing um, Pulp Fiction short stories for, like, magazines like Playboy and, like, places like that before mm-hmm. he became, like, this mega bestseller. So it's always been a genre that's kind of, like, allowed people who don't have a lot of resources or um, backing already, t- because it's kind of, like, since it's seen as this deviant form, there's mm-hmm. no gatekeepers. Right. Like, even back at, back in those days, there were no big studios. It's like, you can't make a horror movie. There were... These low-budget places, it's like, oh, you can make something for $10,000? Great. Mm-hmm. And if you can well, buy some, like, buckets of red paint and, like, got somebody that can do some cool effects, like, you can make on a shoestring budget. A real, like, even Blair Witch was like that.
1: Right. Well, a lot of those also came out of, like, the IP for those is free because yeah. they're all based on these movies that are old or, um, like, older, out-of-date, classical books. Sorry, mm-hmm. books. Um, all the movies now, it's like, oh, there's this, there's free IP for this? Like, we don't have to pay anybody rights to, to write for this? Yeah, we'll make a movie off of that. That's why you have so many uh, Sherlock mo- uh, yeah, exactly. Sherlock stuff within the last, uh, like, 10 years is because the Sherlock IP finally fell out. So now everybody can make Sherlock for free, essentially. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they don't have to pay this to Arthur Conan Doyle estate. <laughs> yeah, or whoever, whoever yeah. owned Did all this. Did you ever those. hear about the famous IP story with uh, George Romero's original Night of the Living Dead movie? No. So this movie came out in 1967, and before like zombies were already kind of a genre, mm-hmm. but this is the one that kind of like exploded it onto like the mass consciousness of popular culture. Hmm. But he made it as like a low budget grindhouse movie. It's the last major horror movie that was made in black and white. Okay, made in 1967, um, and it's just a really incredible story of. It's the most basic of basic zombie horror movie premises. It's a group of strangers that get trapped in a house together and have to survive. Classic, exactly. But there is something in movies called a title card, mm-hmm. and you know, like the copyright page in a book. Yes. So this is like the movie's version of that, and a lot of times you'll see like the studio's name, and you know, and like now it would be MMXVII mm-hmm. for 2018. Mm-hmm. So that's basically the the copyright page of a movie. Okay. Is like that copyright. page. Notice or information, and even like when you put in a DVD today or you download something, it basically you have that warning, you right? still get that, yeah, exactly. So, but because of the Living Dead was made by when, back when George Romero was still like an amateur and it was low budget, and they didn't quite like they made an incredible movie, but they didn't quite know everything they were doing, <laughs> they didn't put the title card in, oh, which meant immediately after the movie released, it immediately became public domain. Oh, and any movie theater in the country that wanted to could play it for free, but that also kind of became this like silver lining for it because that meant that anybody could play for free so more eyeballs were seeing it because it's like oh like you would just get this film reel passed along nobody
1: had to pay anything for it and it was so, actually decent <laughs> yeah so of
0: course people wanted to show it um, but it kind of caught its own momentum
1: well that's, that's the same thing that'll happen to a lot of uh, what's it called um, any of those syndicated TV shows mm-hmm. the reason that so many of those syndicated TV shows were watched for so long and just aired on TV again and again and again is because the syndication forum was so cheap So people could play them for so cheap. Yeah, I mean, that's
0: that's why they they play them every night. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because you can buy something in syndication and use it as filler before, like, the big shows come Mm -hmm. up. And these Grindhouse movies were all kind of the same way. This is what – they might play these, like, um, between movies or, like, alongside movies. So you might have, like, the big budget romance going on at one end of the drive-in. And then, like, for, like, the teenagers and, like, other people, like, you might have, like, the Grindhouse like, lower budget ones and, like, you know, tickets are half off or, like, that's the one. Yeah, that so like, you got
1: the Citizen Kane on one side exactly. and then you got, like, whatever trash junk that the mm. other people, yeah, on the other side. And, and,
0: and one thing that's cool, too, is now that we have digital culture, um, you can create a really high-quality independent horror movie for very little money just because everybody has, like, editing software. Mm-hmm. You can get high-quality cameras. There's, like, a very low cost barrier to that. Um, people can do fairly decent digital effects if they mm-hmm. want to. Or um, what I think is even better and what I prefer in the horror movies that I watch are the people that get really creative with practical effects, mm, Okay, uh, which is something that James Rolfe likes to do on Cinemassacre. It's like one of their trademarks is basically like anything they do over the top are like gory. It's like you can tell it's an effect, mm-hmm. but it's so fun to watch that you don't really care. Yes. And so like those are the kinds of – um and, like, practical effects are really good. And, like, that's kind of the thing that Hammer does, too. It's, like, they didn't have all this technology. Um, a really good example in, like, the more modern or, like, big budget, like, before computer graphics became a big thing was um, the original Alien with H.R. Geiger. Oh. Like, all of the costumes, all of those, f- like, creature effects. Like, somebody had to make that. Mm-hmm. Or John Carpenter's The Thing. It's uh, There's that really iconic scene where the guy's about to put the um the electric paddles and the person he thinks is like they need to like resurrect him mm-hmm. but he's already turned into the thing so like the jaw comes out and like eats his hands. Mm-hmm. That's all practical effects and it looks way cooler than it would. If you did CGI Exactly and like is and like that's the thing is like um that's one of the reasons I like classic horror movies too is because you couldn't rely on that kind of technology that Because it was so expensive. Yeah like there were no Sharknadoes back then because mm-hmm. you know well, like there were like but it was like that version of Sharknado instead of having like cheap CGI sharks, you actually had to have, like, rubber... Foam sharks. Yeah, exactly. And so um, I really like... And if if you guys want something that does take itself a little bit more seriously or has a little bit more of a creepy vibe, um, try to watch some of the classic Universal horror movies or go back even further to the Nosferatus, Mm. Phantom of the Opera. Those are all public domain, too, now Mm because they're so old, so you can watch those online really easily. Um, And those movies don't have, like, kind of, like, jump scares... Or like the uh kind of feeling of like um being like terrified like you would by like a modern horror movie necessarily, right, but what it has is like lots of really great atmosphere dialogue costumes, and it definitely creates like a creepy vibe. And those are really good. Like, if you want to have something cool on in the background at, like, your Halloween party, Mm -hmm. like, you don't have to necessarily sit and watch it. You can just kind of look over and, like, oh, that's some creepy, like, imagery that's, like, kind of interesting that I can stare at for a few
1: minutes. And that all has to do with the world building and the atmosphere that it's setting up, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's – there's some – we could get into the whole, like, yeah, jump scare versus suspense Mm -hmm. idea of horror uh, which we don't really need to do right now because we, I, I kind of want to get to my topic. But uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> just that's kind of, kind just of a... a little bit. yeah. <laughs> um, but that's like a whole genre of horror where is, is jump scare actually good horror I or is it, it being lazy? I
0: think it's kind of fun and also kind of cheap at the same time. Yeah, One of my favorite moments in a horror movie is the fake jump scare. Oh, and where the best one is suspense. like somebody – like somebody will open a cabinet and get something out and then they will mm-hmm. close the cabinet and all of a sudden there's like a cat on screen like kissing at them and like mm. you don't expect it or or the fake jump scare i think is like so
1: see so, yeah, i thought you were going to talk about the fake jump scare of like the the it grows dark the suspense builds the person's walking slowly towards the end of the uh towards the door and they open the door and it's just like a, a cat on the oh, other like side the and it's just looking one. at you, yeah, yeah.
0: I like the ones. I mean, the, the reason that jump scares can be kind of fun is like they just give you a jolt of adrenaline, mm-hmm. and if you already like being scared, it kind of like that much adrenaline all at once can even give you like this sort of like tingly buzz for a few mm-hmm. minutes. And I think that's why people that like the, the pe- certain <laughs> va- genres of horror movies like like the jump scares is for that reason. The people that like them, and there's some <laughs> people that hate jump exactly. scares. Like, well, there's some people that just don't like being scared that way. Yeah. Like, they don't want to have that feeling of like sudden mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, it's stress hormones racing through your body. <laughs> the,
1: the fun part so the like the, so the scenario just uh, gave where it's the red herring into a jump scare. So it's like the you know, suspense. Oh no, it's just a, you let your it's guard just a down. cat. But wait, there's a monster behind it. <laughs> like that that thing, yeah. Oh, man, the the whole idea of like the whole area of jump scares and uh suspense is interesting. And that's where um oh, what was the the movie? Um Oh shoot! I'm blanking on What's it. It, it had, about? A train, had a train wreck. Had the suspenseful snowpiercer one. No, it was it was a high budget one. Okay. Um, it was recorded. It was all about like a special millimeter of film. Shoot! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick myself about this now. Um, do you know when it came out? It came out in the 2000s. It and it's was about a
0: snow what?
1: No, it's not about <laughs> a snow thing. It's about so there's a there's a train crash in it and a. Monster gets out, and it's made by J.J. Abrams. Was this a J.J. Abrams? Okay. Oh, I think it... I
0: know. Is this? Um, I know what you're talking about. Super Eight. Super Eight. Yes. Yeah, thank that you. was the one that kind of took off of like the Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Kind of like that genre of horror. Yes, and, but like... it
1: is. It is very like it's suspense horror. It's not mm-hmm. scare horror. It's not like jump horror. And it did a very good job of what a lot of you know good horror I think should do, which is you don't see the monster for almost the entire. Uh, the entire movie. Yeah, I think
0: Stranger Things did a good job of Stranger that. Stranger
1: Things did a good job of that. Um, if you want a really good example of it, um, the the Doctor Who, mm-hmm. um, with the Silent Angels. Okay. Do you remember, you know what I'm talking about? I the, never
0: got that big into Doctor Who. Oh
1: no. Okay. So there's a there's a uh, episode of Doctor Who called Don't Blank. It's with David Tennant. and It's one of the better acclaimed new series, mm-hmm. and it's essentially. Uh, These two people are humans. The Time Lord Doctor Who is off somewhere, but he sends them a video Mm -hmm. saying, whatever you do, like, keep running. You need to get to this place, but, like, whatever you do, don't blink. And what it is is that there are statues that are like creatures in the, in the, uh, in this other plane that can only move when you're not looking at them. I mean, so the whole, the whole show is like, you'll be, they'll be standing around and then they'll look down a hallway and there's just this, and they're all angelic statues and there'll be an angelic statue just standing there. And they'll move. All, and then they'll like, look away or they'll talk to each other. And then one will be like, wait, look, look back. And it'll be closer. <laughs> and it's, it's like that whole through the whole show, like they're moving, you get uh, a couple different times where you'll turn around and it'll be right in your face because mm-hmm. they've gotten that close. Um, so like this but this whole idea of the real monster you can't see because it's yeah. it's moving uh it's moving when you're not there. So it's like it was a really well done episode. They get out, That's it's really all great, great, but it's like at the very end they're in the TARDIS and all of these like statues are standing around the TARDIS, <laughs> just like like trying like staring right at it.
0: Really and
1: neat. um what they did is they realized that it got like it got such good ratings. So they were like, Oh, well we should do this again, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do another one. So they did another one, and they made a fatal mistake. And that at one point during it, they looked at what is it? As they're running away, they looked at one of the angels as it moved, and it just ruins the whole yeah. effect. It's like, oh, but that's not. You shouldn't be able to look at them when they right. See is it, them but, but it's like the characters aren't looking at no, it. It's just the camera. You. It's you yeah. that are that's looking at it. It ruined it ruined it for me <laughs> because yeah. it's like that's that's what made them creepy is that you know you you just can't you can't uh let them be alone or they'll or they'll exactly. attack you <laughs> <laughs> that's really um, cool so yeah so anyways uh yeah my topic i i'll be honest i did not get very much into like the horror stuff as a kid um i didn't watch many horror movies mm-hmm. i didn't have the in- i didn't have a lot of interest i didn't even go to a lot of um Haunted houses, yeah. But um, there's one area of horror that I think a a creative group developed, and I think it's it's one of my favorite, um, you know, world <laughs> of uh, horror areas that you can get, and that yeah. is this this plane called Innistrad. Now... Okay. Um, a plane? A plane. So in the game of Magic the Gathering... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the plane. Okay. Yeah, we're bringing, I'm bringing it back about, to the talking about existential again. planes. I was imagining like... No. Like, a, like, like a, the one the snakes
0: are on? Well, I was thinking, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like when you said the Innistrad, I'm like, is that like some famous like... Nope,
1: <laughs> content nope. Uh thing? No, it's not. So <laughs> okay. um, in Magic the Gathering, uh, each time they do a set, they go to a different, different plane, blah, blah, mm. blah. That's not important. What's important is that um, back in, and I really should have looked this up. Twenty would have been right before I got to college. 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, they created this uh, new set, and it was based. It was supposed to be like a horror based set. Uh, they released in October. And it was on this plane called Innistrad. And what Innistrad is is a world where the humans mm-hmm. are a dwindling race, and what is taking over is. In the woods, there are werewolves. In the night, in these manors, there are vampires, legions of vampires. Um, whenever a human dies, it turns into a spirit, and they're getting outnumbered by the spirits as well. So it's all of these different races encroaching on the humans, and there's very few of them left. And the only thing that's been protecting these humans all along is an angel by the name of Avicen, mm. But avison has gone missing. <laughs> so... Um, I was gonna talk about this this whole idea of um in and this world because it's a very well developed world. Um they actually did two sets on it. First one uh was based all around gothic horror, so it okay. focused on like werewolves and vampires. Um it has a really cool backstory in um one of the and I'll diverge on this quickly. One of the um uh, main characters in the story is a vampire by the name of Soren. Okay. Soren is this really old uh, vampire that's been around for uh, millennia and millennia. And it's at some point during the first story, you discover that um, he's like the heir to his name is Soren Makarov, and he's the heir <laughs> to the Makarov chain of vampires. <laughs> chain um, of vampires? Yes, yeah, just like, the, like, like his family. Like his clan? family okay. of okay. clan I of vampires. I like, think like
0: maybe they had a lot of like, you know, you go into the blood uh, joint and you get like a large. Um, Oh, like the food chain? Yeah, like oh, positive, (laughs) and like a side of um, I don't know. No,
1: like yeah, okay, I see where you're going. No, he's 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 the uh, like the he's the he's like the master vampire. Yeah, the master vampire over this this uh legion of vampires, and then you find out that um, at one point during back in the millennia, he had create he had actually he was the one that created the angel. That know. protects all the humans because he realized that vampires are greedy. Oh,
0: so they would basically and they go would have stained
1: because hun- they would were- because they would hunt all the humans out of existence, and then once the humans were gone, they would have nothing to eat. So he created this angel, <laughs> and it's, it's, that's just like a really cool story. So, mm-hmm. um, like like I was saying, they started with Gothic horror. Um, they went on and created a second set, and they didn't want to go back to the Gothic horror because. Mm-hmm. Wizards of the Coast is very bad about going back and doing something again. They're like, if you wanted to go back and do it again, just go do it again. So Mm -hmm. what they did instead was they took this plane, this whole world that they had built, Mm -hmm. which was built around gothic horror and vampires and all that, and instead of it being gothic horror, they turned it into eldritch horror.
0: Oh, neat, like Lovecraftian horror.
1: Lovecraftian horror. So now there's this. There was an entity that was coming onto the plane that was making everything just a bit off. <laughs> and in the fr- it was really neat because in the first People set started looking like fish. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> in the first set because um, they normally do like two sets, mm-hmm. so they'll do one and then another one. So in the first set, everything's like pretty normal. It's a lot of what you'd seen from the last one, except if you looked at some of the cards. Because uh, every uh, in some of the art, you'd see, like, a tentacle coming off of someone. Mm-hmm. Or, like, um, somebody's face was, like, turning. Like, somebody's eye was a lot bigger than the other one for no real reason. Um, and you had, like, all of these uh, weird changes. And then the second set, one that came out later, mm-hmm. okay, now everything's, like, going, like, really <laughs> crazy. Um, Did they
0: do what you were talking about in the other? Uh, like, when you're talking about the magic area art, you talked about how some, like, you would see like a new recruit, and then like scarred veteran.
1: Mm-hmm. Do
0: they have anything from the first set that transferred over to the Lovecraftians? Yeah,
1: so they did a lot of they did a lot of those that was really cool. Um, one of the most popular cards um, in the first set that they did uh, was a card by the name of Delver of Secrets. Mm-hmm. And the idea of Delver of Secrets was he turned into um, uh, like like horrid abomination, I think. Uh, 'cause he would flip into another he would flip into another creature if certain uh conditions were met and it was a very popular card but if you actually look at it, what the card is is um the uh flyman the guy that is a human and like through yeah, experiments turns, turns, turns himself turns <laughs> into the fly so uh they had that in the first one Well, in the second one they come out with uh in the second one they came out with like a new card that was kind of the similar idea except instead of a scientist turning into a fly it's the scientist turning into these abominations mm-hmm. um they did a lot of uh you did they would, do
0: is it did it have kind of like because a lot of the like, crafting stuff to me it's very wrapped up in the kind of like that early 20th century the whole of, yeah did it look kind of like steampunky or was it still like medieval kind of
1: um there was a lot of hats okay yeah, yeah so so we're, we're good There was a lot of hats okay. no um <laughs> it, it did a very good job of having um that like that early 1900s theme but mm. that's kind of how the last set was okay. was as well so oh, the first okay. one, the first one when they did the gothic horror was so it in wasn't the like they're era. chasing
0: down like knights and peasants they're like chasing Mm-mm. down people that are already kind of like like earth and their right experience. like you
1: have like cathars and you have um and like it's it moves it's a it was a very strict move from the classic fantasy. So there's like mm-hmm. there's not centaurs, there's not really any dragons in it. There's mm-hmm. a lot more demons and angels. Same. There's uh werewolves and boars and um different different elements like that that are much more common. You had abominations um the yes. zombies in it. Because this is another thing is that we we talked earlier about um zombie show that I'm totally blanking on right now, Night Night of the Living Dead, um, has a very specific way of how zombies are done. And depending on what genre you're in, you can change how zombies are done. You can have the fast zombies. Yeah. You can have the slow zombies. You can have the smart zombies. You can have the dumb zombies. Um, what they decided to go with was the zombies were like Frankenstein zombies. I oh, mean, so, so they took a lot to kill Yeah, well, they're recreated from other things. Oh, so they're brought together in a spark of life. So that's how one set of zombies are. <laughs> and then there's another set of zombies that are like the raised from the dead hordes that just build and build and... They're, you know, taken from the corpses of the living. And that's how that's,
0: like, that's kind of like the Dungeons and Dragons models of uh, zombies, which I think are, are kind of cool, which is um, there's a dark wizard mm-hmm. called a necromancer, and mm-hmm. he has the power over anything related to death. And so he can kind of, like, call forth a horde of skeletons or zombies. And then um... the other thing that's neat is, like... Because Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons are all part of the same uh, group of People now, right? They're Same like, company, yeah, exactly. Just, just creating two different kinds of games, um, but and the, they have their own kind of like horror mythology in Dungeons and Dragons. There's even an mm-hmm. entire universe um, mm-hmm. called Ravenloft, yeah, which is which is a uh, but you know we got vampire lords and but mm-hmm. even in like the Dragonlance books, there's Lord Soth who's a Death Knight mm-hmm. and he has been cursed um, by this lover that he like killed and betrayed to always he like he's like immortal but he's mm-hmm. immortal as like a death like he's like basically a skeleton uh, yeah. kind so, of okay like a he, lich almost. yeah he kind of looks like one of the nine from lord of the rings oh, okay but he also has like a horde of skeleton like army basically and he awesome. rides a death mare which is like a zombie horse mm-hmm. and then there it, like he has this castle which I guess is a like hunting castle and there is a i think the woman who he killed is like a banshee or like the spirits like he could hear her like wailing every night but he gets wrapped up in, like, all of the other characters in the the main, like, Dragonlance, like, the original trilogy. Because he's just, like, another actor in this, like, on the side of evil. Mm-hmm. But it's neat because it injects all this um, horror into it. And then, too, like, there's even horror in the Harry Potter series, which I feel is yes. related. Because, like, the idea of a lich, mm-hmm. I think, is very similar to the idea of, very um, and- of Voldemort. And, like, even, like, to the level of the horcruxes, I think there are... Um, mm-hmm like, the high-level liches in Dungeons & Dragons, like, you can't kill it. You have to kill, like, right, all you have these to kill different it. pieces of its soul, which is basically, like, I don't know, because I'm sure there's some mythology that came before J.K. Rowling mm-hmm. injected that into the world. I Voldemort. wonder where,
1: the, like, the idea of a lich came from that has its soul, like, its soul parceled out into a phylactery. Because yeah. it's definitely been it, around before J.K. Rowling. It's yeah. been around before Harry Potter.
0: I think Potter. it might have been, I mean, I'm not. I don't know for sure, but I'm just kind of guessing, like, might have come out of the same sort of stew as Frankenstein of, like, Mm. Like the the power of science if you twisted can, mad science having if you this can power separate one life. part of
1: the body what else can you separate from exactly. it? exactly
0: and um I think it's it's part of that whole like mad scientist kind of genre mm-hmm. but tinged with like magic and the occult and that right kind of thing too so back
1: to magic so there's another character there's another set of characters that are beloved in the magic community from this plane called Gissa and Geralt, mm-hmm. um and they're these twin brother and sisters that are both necromancers. Uh but one of them is a stitcher, okay, which is what I was describing before is essentially they he builds zombies from parts of other ones. Um and he has a like he's and these zombies whenever they build these zombies they're always trying to build a bigger, better like monstrosity mm-hmm. and um there's they play some humor off with that. So there's some cards where it's like they'll have um, like a dual minotaur and he's like so it turns out and, and it'll be his notes. Turns out uh tying two or tying two minotaurs together doesn't work very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just
0: got this um, image in my mind of a, a centaur centipede. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> just a bunch of them yes. like lined up on another.
1: <laughs> All right, good. That's less <laughs> horrifying like than the human centipede idea yeah. though. Um but the uh so yeah, so there's the so but that's what Geralt does, and then Gissa is a whistler. So yeah, she literally, yeah. in the stories, whistles zombies from the uh, from the grave. That's really neat. Yeah,
0: yeah, necromancers are, are neat because it's kind of like I think a lot of what people like about Halloween and horror and like death. It basically forces you to confront death so that you're not so afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And I think what's neat about necromancers or mad scientists is like. Instead of being afraid of death, they want to use death as a tool. Mm-hmm. But part of, I guess, the morality behind it is that um, it's kind of like you're going beyond what it, the scope of like what human beings can do
1: or should do.
0: Should do. And so it's neat because, like back then, I mean, even when Mary Shelley's time, she was around like toward the end of the Enlightenment, right before the Industrial Revolution started. You mm-hmm. know, was kind of like what, like like when the study of chemistry and all these things are becoming more and more advanced and it's like, okay, like how, how far could we take this? And even today people talk about like, you know, cloning dead people, mm-hmm. which would almost kind of be like the, a different version of bringing somebody back to life. Right. Like what if you used somebody's DNA, like you lost your child and then they could inseminate you with like your child's DNA. Right. They, or the, or
1: the uh, whole idea of um, yeah. like building up from, or like uh, people that live forever. Yeah. Exactly. As, 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 Kind of the idea of like with immortality. Yeah, kind of chasing away that uh that or running away from that uh idea of death that we all have to come to at some point. Exactly.
0: It's neat. It's it's a neat one. well, what sounds like a really cool kind of like set to get. Are there new sets that people could get, or would you have to like look around for like the old ones well, from a so, few years ago? Yeah.
1: So the first one came out in two thousand ten. The last one came out and this is the the Eldritch one came out in two thousand six okay so that should be that should
0: be recent enough people should be able to find that if yeah yeah if
1: you're interested in it it's it's out there it also has some great art um I'll give you some some uh minor spoilers so in the first one I was telling you about like Avison, this angel that has come to save all the humans well but uh in the first one she's disappeared and nobody knows what happens to her well she comes back at the end uh, mm-hmm. at the end of that but then in the most recent one, Avison turns. <laughs> so now right. she's now she's no longer like saving the humans. Now she's killing them all and yeah. destroying towns. So that's
0: really neat. I yeah. um, I think that sounds really cool and like it's neat that their universes keep
1: evolving. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, um, what, sorry. One more thing. Um, if you are interested in this storyline or this idea, but you don't really want to play the game, mm-hmm. um, the whole Eldritch uh, horror arc. Uh, was written out in short stories and you can actually go on Wizards of the Coast website on Magic the Gathering website and read those and you don't need any knowledge of the cards uh it has a but it is a great storytelling opportunity the start of uh what's called Shadows over Innistrad mm-hmm. um there's a the the first story of that i think i even sent it to you at one yeah. point i don't know if you ever read it but it was a very it was a very well done like horror arc uh getting you into this uh into That's the really storylines cool. and yeah. if,
0: People are into Eldritch Horror. Um, setting aside his <laughs> racist ideas, H.P. Uh, <laughs> Lovecraft was a really gifted horror and a uh, science fiction writer of the early 20th century. He um, he kind of um, created his fantasy horror stories out of his own dreams. Hmm. So he would have nightmares, and then he turned these nightmares. Like, that's part of what it inspired his stories. Um so his 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 books are really good. They're mostly written as short stories, but it's it's definitely neat to get that kind of like Eldridge old gods. Like if you want to know where that mythology comes from, um, and another really neat thing that I'm sure you're familiar with is the uh, Call of Cthulhu mm-hmm. board game, mm-hmm. which is all based on a little of and mythos. Have you ever played that game?
1: Um, I haven't played Call of Cthulhu. I played Arkham Horror. Okay, um, which is another probably it's. Bit older i think it came out in 2013 2014 but i've heard of call of cthulhu and i've heard yeah. good things Call of it. cthulhu
0: is neat i played it once but i got killed in the very beginning no i think there's ways to resurrect you because when you get killed you get sent to this like dimensional void that i think people can rescue from mm-hmm. but basically uh it's it's a neat board game because instead of competing instead of players competing against each other to win you all have to work together to defeat whoever's playing. I guess like the game. I don't even oh. know. It's, I think it might be just the cards you draw. It's 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 a game that's very hard to win. Yeah, so you all have to work together to win. And I don't even know if there's a player who plays the like the Eldritch Gods, or mm. if it's just like based on the kind of cards you draw, the obstacles that you face, and like. But it's really neat because all the characters have that kind of Lovecraftian vibe, mm-hmm. and it puts you into um, the the mode of somebody who's, like, in that kind of world. Mm-hmm. So it's a way to, to, like, sink your teeth into that that universe as well.
1: Right. Yeah, there's a bunch of um, horror. Uh, there's a bunch of Lovecraftian board games. Like I said, there's Arkham Horror. They came out with one later that was kind of a revised version of Arkham Horror called Eldritch Horror, which a lot of people uh, recommend over it. Arkham Horror, you're running around a city trying to, like, take care of the cult and get rid of them, or the occult and you know save the world from the old god that's coming um eldritch horror you're traveling around the world so it kind of goes a bit bigger than that um but I know that one's a really popular one I've heard of call of Cthulhu and then there's another one called oh it's the um eldritch horror living card game okay. which uh is a whole genre of board game card games that uh uh are really fun so
0: Neat. yeah there's a bunch of weird lovecraftian things um and another <laughs> If you really want to dive deep into the uh, Lovecraftian universe, another related um writer is Robert E. Howard. Mm-hmm. The uh HP Lovecraft and he actually correspond a lot. Oh, okay. He created the Conan series. Oh, really? His short stories. And um if you read Conan, a lot of the priests like the dark priests mm-hmm. worship Yagoth. Or and if you read the Lovecraftian horror stories, it's the same gods. Hmm. So it's neat because it's kind so of it's like, like the same s- world. Yeah, instead of being in this like early 20th century world, it's like this ancient, fantastic hmm. world. Like it's like supposed to be ancient Sumeria, but then there's like wizards and monsters, hmm. and Conan has to fight through them all. But whenever there's like a dark priest or some some evil wizard, there's like they're always worshipping or getting the powers from the old gods, hmm. and so Conan's very familiar with them as well. <laughs> Um, That's awesome. Well, we can start wrapping up soon. One, uh, I did want to give some people like just some quick shots of like horror things that I highly recommend, and I won't go into them quite as deep. Um, if you haven't played it yet and you're a fan of Red Dead Redemption, there's a new Red Dead Redemption game coming out very soon. Yes, there is. If you have not played Undead Nightmare, which is an expansion of the original Red Dead Redemption that came out for um, Xbox 360 mm-hmm. and PS3, this is a game that imagines that uh, – well, John Marston is the main character and he's just kind of like this uh, cowboy along the Mexican-Texan border in the, mm-hmm. and like around 1912, like early 20th century, like around the same kind of all these lovecraft kind of, stuff.
1: And it's kind of like the end of the – Yeah, it's the end of the cowboy era mm-hmm. when
0: like the frontier is closing. Um, and there's like a main like, you know, very compelling story that takes you through like action-packed, really well done by Rockstar Games. Same people that did Grand Theft Auto. Well, after they finished um, – Red Red Redemption, mm-hmm. they created Undead Nightmare, which is an expansion pack, which basically imagines, well, what if there was a zombie outbreak <laughs> that occurred and John Marston had to deal with it? Yeah. So if you ever wanted to see who would win in a fight between cowboys and zombies... Um, that's a really cool game to play. Mm-hmm. They also injected a lot of, and, and it kind of like doesn't take it seriously either. They right. just take that
1: premise and run with it. I love the idea of like adding zombies to something. Exactly. Like, like just make it fresh. Like, they did the think, same thing in, I think, uh, Call of Duty, uh, one of the Call of Duty games. It was mm-hmm. like they, they wanted to add a horde mode where you could play with your friends. So it's like, what do we add? Nazi zombies, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Nazi yeah. zombies will be great. Well, I
0: mean, that's in Return to Ca- like Return to Castle Wolfenstein. That's basically the uh, the whole idea is like zombies versus not uh, zombies plus Nazis. But this is a cowboys versus Nazis. or not. A cow- well, that would be a weird thing too.
1: That would be very strange. That actually, that's actually not like at all a, what you are like talking time about. Time portal opens up, and John <laughs> Marston
0: goes to like the European front. I would pay to play that game. Um, no, this is um, cowboys versus zombies, and one of the other things that's really neat is because there's horse riding and. Of any, a lot of video games have horse riding involved in them. Um, By far, the best horse riding in any video game I've ever played was Red Dead Redemption. Red Mm -hmm. Dead Redemption 2, they might even top it. Um, But because it is a horror themed Red Dead Redemption, you can ride on the four horses of the apocalypse. The only one I got was War. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, because it's since it's War, it's this horse that's like black, but it's like. All of its hair and its eyes are on fire. That's awesome. And so when you're riding this horse, if you ride over a zombie, the zombie catches fire. Hmm. And it's really neat and just kind of like over the top. Um, Other really good horror-themed video games, one last one I'll tell you guys about real quick is the Ghostbusters video game. It was written by um, Dan Aykroyd. Hmm. And um, I don't know if anybody else, but it's basically they turned the script. They never made Ghostbusters 3. Mm-hmm. but because so many of the old cast was involved in the production of the Ghostbusters video game that came out for Xbox 360 and PS3 a lot of people think of that as Ghostbusters 3 and if you just want something fun and silly with a lot of monsters in it that you can play um that's another really good one that's not quite as like scary but you can really sink yourself into if you like that Ghostbusters universe that's another really good video game. Yeah.
1: So a uh, couple things I'll mention is uh, there's a board game out there that really fits the Halloween spirit. It's called Mysterium. Uh, you, play as, you play with a group of friends. One of your friends is um, a ghost that can't say anything throughout the entire game. It's his favorite part. Um, um, so pick your friend that's really annoying to play that so you don't have to hear his voice for about two <laughs> hours. Um, but the other people are people that are sleeping in a... Uh, mansion and a ghost is coming to them at night and delivering them dreams and they have to try and figure out what the ghost is trying to tell them. That sounds neat. Um, and through the whole game, your the, your ghosty ghosty pal is trying to pass <laughs> off hints to uh, get you to but figure out talk. who the murderer was. But yes, they can't talk? but they can't. They can't talk. They give you cards and okay. I can go into the whole rules list, but we um, don't need to.
0: <laughs> kind of reminds me a little bit. of There's this party game and I think I don't know. It might just be called werewolves. Uh,
1: yeah. Werewolves is a bit different. Well, but. there's
0: a party game. Game, and i can't remember like exactly how it's played but everybody but a few people oh, have to you know. their eyes and they're oh. like seekers they're like supposed to be like the psychic people do you think it dicks it i don't know there's like five people that are mm-hmm. picked to be werewolves and okay. like they are um they are supposed to like point at people or like tap them on the shoulder and like basically turn them into werewolves mm-hmm. and the seekers who have their eyes open know who's a werewolf, but. It's like people are lying and people are trying to convince other people of, like, who's a werewolf? And, like, you can hang the villagers. And it's basically just this party game where people can, like, uh, just, like, uh, use deceit to, like, screw people over. Yeah, it's, it's,
1: uh, <laughs> you're right. It is it is a werewolf. And they've come out with other games where um, – so there's werewolf, which is that basic concept, which you okay. can play at any time. There's um, ultimate werewolf. What they do is they take that, except instead of there just being werewolves and villagers, there's werewolves and – um, the town merchant and the fi- the fire cutter <laughs> and the, and like all these other like minor roles that change the game a little bit and then there's one night ultimate werewolf which I think is the one that a lot of board gamers recommend where it takes all of the um, all of that mystery of, like, who's who and what's going on and boils it down into one quick game that takes, like, ten minutes. So you can just play a bunch of them one after another. Yeah, um,
0: it's good to have those kind of games for parties where you don't have to take a long time right, to get through them. Right.
1: So, um, yeah, so Mysterium is one game I would recommend. Um, there was another one, and I'm totally going to blank on it. So there's... I think I had a horror. Oh, um, I would recommend to anybody that is looking for like a horror short story. There's a great one on AmericanFantastic.com. It's called El Chupacabra. Uh, it's written <laughs> Night by of the Night of the Chupacabra. There you go. <laughs> uh, see, it's like John knew it for some it's reason. Like... I can't imagine why. Um, it's a really, it's a really uh, good horror story. I, I like reading it every year just to uh, you know, get back into the mood yeah. of Halloween. It's a really neat
0: one. It's uh, thank you, Troy. Um, yeah, there's so uh, one of my traditions is writing. A horror story every Halloween. So it started off with The Good, the Bad, and the Dead, Mm -hmm. which is my zombie short story. Um, Yoko Molotov did some cool art for me on that one. And if you pick up Delusions of Grandeur, which is the book that has Night of the Chupacabra and... Mm -hmm. um, the uh, good, the bad, the and collecting in it. That's that image that she made for that story as the back cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also read the Cottonwood Curse, which is a oh, that's a good one too. That's one that takes place. It's a ghost story that takes place in Victorian old Louisville.
1: That's one that I I've been meaning to for a long time do a reading of yeah. and get a recording of that. Yeah, so I think that's a re- that. I think it's a really good one that you can get a recording of. It
0: is. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Um, and so basically each. Each year, I try to write a short story in a different genre. Uh, last year, I did an LGBTQ coming-of-age ghost story oh, yeah. called 13 Candles. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the year before that, I did one called Shattered, which is kind of like in the genre of Black Mirror or The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Um I'm trying to remember if I've read that one. You should if you haven't. It's fun. I like that one. Um, Night of the Chupacabra is the one Troy mentioned, and that's a, it's basically like a monster story. But it has a lot – it's about a, a coyote or somebody who's a Cuban smuggler. It is very relevant
1: right now, yeah, it's though. very – it's,
0: it's, it's, it's too, frighteningly too relevant, yeah. and it becomes more relevant and more relevant with every, every year. month, it seems like. Yeah. Um, and this year, um, I'm not writing a story, but we got a story. Ooh. Um, yeah, from a Lexington writer that's about his uh, own – paranormal experiences uh, from a young man named David Jacobs. So that'll be really neat to put up there. Yeah. And there's um, and there's also a horror essay I wrote. My big project oh. that I haven't quite finished, but mm-hmm. I want to, and it will happen someday. Um, <laughs> it's called Choose Your Own Demise. Oh, okay. And it's going to be a horror story, choose your own adventure novel from multiple perspectives. Same story you can play as any of the characters you want, including the monster hmm so i'm excited to see that when, yeah. when, so when it one so one of these out. days it's going to come out and i think it'll be cool i want to i might print like an actual like old school like turn to this page kind of thing but i thought it would be a really cool thing that would go well with a website because you could just use hyperlinks for oh, everything yeah yeah make things and a lot so easier it'd be easier to like yeah if you didn't if you chose the wrong thing you just hit the back button and but <laughs> i would always have my thumb in like four different places when i read those two <laughs> But yeah, there's there's plenty of cool stuff like that to check out in American Fantastic. You can check out there's some horror themed art uh, by Jack Scally. Dorji draws some really cool monsters. Um, there's all kinds of neat stuff. Uh, you guys can check out our other cool audio content there. Uh, all the episodes of Hip Squared. Um, this may be an episode. Hopefully, if Apple Podcasts uh, turns it uh, turns back and gives us like resolves our timetable, we have. Created an RSS feed for Hip Squared. Uh, we're just waiting for Apple Podcasts to approve that. But as soon as that happens, uh, you won't have to stream or download from AmericanFantastic.com anymore. You can just get this in your podcatcher. So fingers crossed, you should just be able to put hip squared, that's hip, s Q-U-A-R-E-D, Hip Squared into your podcatcher and uh, keep up with episodes that way and follow us. And um, if you also like us on Facebook, we can let you know if we ever have to be um, out for a week or anything like that. But that's another really good way to follow us is um, once we have, and it should be with this episode, you should just be able to um, follow us on your podcatcher. And like us on American Fantastic, another really good way to help us out is to share us on social media. Um, You can tell a friend or enemy about us. Um, And if you'd like to support us, a big way you can help too is becoming a member on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Like the sign says, anything helps. Um, tonight's episode was produced by Mayplex Monk. If you guys want to check out what Mayplex is up to, you can find um, go to mayplexmonks.com or follow the creative community on Facebook. And uh, we also want to thank danosongs.com for our intro and outro. Did you get the Spawn of Satan?
1: I got one of them. Okay. There's, there's there's been many spawns. He spawns really fast. I think the
0: lesson is um if we want to leave the basement door open, we should close the studio door. Apparently. Apparently. <laughs> or just get one of those electric like bug zappers.
1: Oh yeah. They make great sounds. It's, I'm yeah. sure Maple would appreciate that. I'm sure, I think
0: I mean like I mean the smell of like smoking insect
1: flesh might create a certain atmosphere. Or, yeah. That's that's definitely one we want on, like, <laughs> when we're recording this for the Christmas episode. Yeah. Just,
0: well, they'd all be dead by then. They're hopefully. all in hibernation. Uh, happy Christmas, bugs. And it's like the real end of summer doesn't happen until all the mosquitoes finally die, mm-hmm. which hopefully will be, fingers crossed, soon. Behind. Soon. All right. Well, thank you all, everybody, for listening to Hip Square Troy. Is there anything I forgot?
1: <laughs> I think we're good, man. Doodles. <laughs> Thank you.